morning, MCC. How are you guys doing today? It's good to be with you today. Hey, before we dive into the message, I want to introduce myself because I see a lot of new people the last few weeks. That's been our case. And some of you are like, who is that guy? I like, you know, he, he's, he looks, you know, cool stuff, but who are you? Um, I'm Trent. I'm the lead pastor here at MCC, and I have been here for going on five years now. Doesn't it? Same sounds crazy, right? I am starting my, you know, Father's Day was four officially, so I'm on the fifth. So yeehaw, all right? Now, if you're new here with us, we would love to have a chance to get to know you, help you get connected. Um, I can tell you as someone who is, you know, kind of new, um, I really, really do love this place. It has been a blessing for my family, and I love for you to be able to help yourself and let us help you get connected. Uh, the way we can do that is back there at the welcome table right after the service. You can take that little next step card and that chair in front of you and fill that out. And we'd love to just get to know you and help you get to know us. Uh, one of the things that we have going on uh, that's coming up here at MCC is our night of prayer. Uh, we did this uh, recently and it was an absolutely powerful night. And we just felt really, really strongly this is something that we need to lean into for us as a church. And so we're going to be having another one of these. Uh, the dates and details are on there. September 13th, it's going to be at 7 p.m. There's going to be child care for that. So I really want this to be a night where we show up, where we lean into the power of prayer. We believe God is moving. Uh, the fastest way to get off track with what God is doing is to not partner with him in prayer. And I believe that there's just stuff going on in our lives. Uh, again, one of the powerful parts of this night is not where we just come in and uh, you just all sit by yourself and you pray. But this is a night where, where we are going to specifically take time and to go have people people, uh, maybe even uh, put a hand on our shoulder and pray for us by name. That doesn't happen nearly as much as it should. And this is going to be one of those nights where we're going to really lean into this. So uh, mark your calendars, clear your calendars, make sure that is a night that you can be a part of. All right. If you got a Bible, let's dig in. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to continue on. Hebrews chapter 10. If you're just Joining us, what we do here at MCC is uh, we, we pick a book of the Bible and we go through that book of the Bible word by word, verse by verse. We have made it to chapter 10 in this book of Hebrews and what we've been recently leaning into as the pastor who is pastoring this church in Hebrews and he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he's writing this to them and now we're reading it here. But the whole reason he's writing this is because he sees people he cares for. He sees a church full of people he cares for, but the struggle and the hardships of life are causing some of them to release their faith. It's, coming, it's causing some of them to abandon who they have in Jesus. So he's helped them understand for 10 chapters now who they have and what they have in Jesus. And now he's saying, okay, this is who Jesus is. Hold fast, draw near, don't let go, and then help each other out. So that's the passage. This is what's going on. Let's read Hebrews chapter 10. Start at verse 19. We're not gonna get all the way to 25, but I want you to be able to see the context. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, we're going to make it, uh, we're going to read to 25 and get to about 23. This is the word of God. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his own flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And this is our verse primarily for today. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. 
for he who promised is faithful. One more time. Holy Spirit, let this sink into our hearts. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as some are in the habit, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father God, be with us as we come to your word. Move in our hearts now to remove distractions, remove um, the things that happened this week that are, we're having a really hard time getting over or putting aside for a second so that we can lock eyes with you to see what you're doing, to see how you're trying to speak to us and hear you clearly. And Jesus, I pray in this moment that you would be with us and remind us that you are not a God who we are going to, but you are a God who came to us and you are here. You're in us who are in you. And those who are struggling, those who are in pain, those who are frustrated, those who are in doubt, those who are lonely, those who are anxious this morning, Jesus, I pray that they feel you like never before that they know even right now, before we even unpack the beauty that is the gospel, that they know in this moment that they are loved by you, that they are not here by accident, that you have a purpose and a plan for life, that you have not given up on them, that you see them, that you know them, that you care for them, and that there will never be a time in this life where you, where you will walk away from them. And so as we talk about drawing near and holding fast, today I pray that you help us to see how close you really are. In your name, amen. So last week we talked about how this author of the book of Hebrews, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's not just him writing all willy-nilly, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he has now gone through about 10 chapters explaining to these Hebrew people who is Jesus and what they have in Jesus and how Jesus is true and greater and Jesus offers them a way into a truer and greater life. And now he's telling them, okay, because of who Jesus is, now here's how we live this out. Here's what we do. And so we talked about last week, he's now entered into the lettuce patch. And what I meant by that is not kale or whatever that romaine stuff is. Um, let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us stir up one another. Last week, we leaned heavily into draw near. Today, we're gonna unpack hold fast. And then next week is gonna be real fun because we're gonna talk about coming to church, all right? So do not miss next week. We're gonna have a lot of fun. I've never preached a message on why it's important to come to church. So this one's gonna be fun. So before we get to this, him telling them, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope, We've gotta go back here because these three things actually flow and are contingent on you getting the first one to move to the next one to fully understand the next one. They all work hand in hand together. And if you don't understand the draw near, you will not be able to get the hold fast. So let's go back, make sure we get that, and then we'll keep tracking forward. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. This is where he gives them the first, let us. Therefore, brothers, and that's not gender specific. This is just kind of the term that they use to identify like, hey, family, like we're in this together, brothers. We have confidence to enter in the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. He's saying Jesus has made through his sacrifice the gap between divinity and humanity not there if you go through him. He's saying he is both the one who is the one who grants access by his blood, he is the one who opens the door, but he's also the one who guides us through to that connection with the Father. 
Verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, first let us, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, last week, we've unpacked this a whole lot. When you come to church and you hear someone say, draw near to God, most everybody in here, like, If I said, hey, I want you to preach a message about drawing near to God, almost everybody in here, even if you came in today and you're not a follower of Christ, you could probably get an outline of how somebody's supposed to draw near to God, how to draw near to God, read your Bible, pray a little bit, go to church, and you've got your three points of your sermon. If you make it have alliteration, gold star. If you make it start with P, you're a Baptist, way to go. Um, (laughs) You gotta pray, you gotta process, and you gotta provide, like that's that's how that works. So he's telling them, draw near. Now we read that and we go, okay, well, that's simple. I just do things and I get closer to God. And we leaned into this heavily last week. This concept of me doing certain things and getting closer to God, or maybe even me not doing certain things or doing bad things and that causing distance between us and God is not Christianity. It's almost every other single major world religion But that is not Christianity. And I showed you Bible verse after Bible verse after Bible verse that explains to us that Jesus is not someone we're actually trying to pursue and we're going after. And if I do these good things, I measure up to him and I get closer to him. We actually talked about how scripture makes it very clear that Christ is in us. Paul tells us in Galatians, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus, in the the book of John, he said, if anybody is in the Father, me and the Father, we come and we make a home in you. And so we asked this really big question last week. Okay, he's telling us to draw near, but how do I draw near to somebody if I'm in Christ? Who's inside of me? That doesn't make any sense. And the way we explained this last week, and hopefully, again, I can't dive into this if you're like, hey, this is still making no sense. Please go back and listen to last week. You may be still like, this makes no sense, and I can't help you after that. (laughs) When we talk about draw near, It's this understanding that if you're in Christ, the distance you feel is distance in your head, but it is not distance in your heart. If Jesus came and he has made a home in you, then the distance you feel is feelings, not reality. We talked about it like a human relationship. If I sin against you, it's gonna create distance in us. On the other side of that, one of the other things that creates a distance is if I think you are really special and you have really high standards or really high moral values and you're just kind of picture perfect out there, well, I'm gonna stay distant from you because I know I don't measure up to you. And many times that's how we look at God. That's how we relate to God because we're looking at a divine father most of the times the way we look at earthly people. Most of the time, how we look at earthly parents is how we relate to God. And what we talked about last week, again, to just recap the draw near, If Jesus has cleansed our heart by his holy, perfect, righteous blood, if we are in Christ and Christ is in us, then Jesus cannot get any closer to you than he is right now. That means you cannot get any closer to Jesus than you are right now if you are in Christ. So you're still going like, what does it mean to draw near then? It means to fully experience the reality of how close he actually is. The image that came to my mind as I was driving home, and usually my drive home is just like, I think that went okay, but here's the 73 things I wish I would have said, right? That's what my drive home is normally like on Sundays. I got this image of sweet little um, Leah Hancock. 
Now, Leah Hancock, how old's Leah? Where's she at? She, she's one, she's one, okay? Now, now Leah, um, a lot of times after church, uh, Rustin, her daddy, will be holding her. They're, they're in our small group, so we see Leah, Leah a fair amount. And so Rustin is usually holding Leah, and Leah, she just has a... She, she has a, a good, she has a fun attitude. I just, I love her. She's already in control of the whole Hancock uh, family. And uh, don't laugh, Barry. She's in control of the Hyatt family as well. Um, so she, she's, she's fully in control. And so she's in Rustin's arm and he's holding her. They could not get any more near her. But somebody will come up and let's just say I'm the one who comes up because this happened to me too. Well, uh, she, she does this to everybody sometimes. Um, but she'll be in Rustin's arms. And I'll come up to her, and, and, and at that time, she's in his arms, and she's facing outward, kind of seeing all this stuff going on at church, taking all in the sights and sounds and smells of church. And then I come up to her, and I kind of like start messing with her, or like get in her face, or like maybe even reach out, like, come to me. And, and what she'll do, because she's Leah, and she's got, a, she's got a really fun attitude, she will just, you know, and kids, they have no social EQ. So they're like, what I've sensed it as is like, you're repulsive to me, dad, help. <laughs> and so you've seen, a, you've seen a child do this. Usually that one to two year old is like, I'm not feeling you, big guy. Like, sorry, lady, get out of my face. And they completely turn their back on you and they hug dad's neck. And it's like, I'm, I'm not turning around until I know this person's gone. They make peek over the shoulder. Nope, they're still there. I'm, I'm staying right here. Okay. Now in that moment, Leah didn't get any closer to Rustin than she was before I showed up. But what she did is she drew near to the one who was holding her, the one who had her. And I don't know what's all going through the mind of a one-year-old, but like, you're my provider. You're my protector. Dad, this guy's got this weird thing shooting off of his face. Like, I don't, that's not human. I don't know what he's doing with that thing. Protect me. And so what we need to understand in this draw near, it's, it's experiencing how close Jesus already is. That is what he means when he says draw near. So we go from draw near and now he goes to our next one, our next let us, let us hold fast. Now that I've drawn near, now I'm realizing that Jesus is here. Let me hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Now, before we dig in and unpack all of this, I want to explain to you maybe a shift that you have noticed in the way I preach and teach at MCC. In my old age <laughs> of 35, um, one of the things I'm learning about what it means to be a, a servant of God's church through preaching and teaching the word, I used to think it was about me giving you all of the right answers. I gotta take the Bible and I gotta give them the answers to all life's biggest questions. But the more and more I look at scripture, the more and more I lead and serve you guys through real life circumstances, the more and more I'm coming to find out that my job maybe isn't so much of giving you all the right answers as much as it is giving you the right questions so that God can lead you to the right answers. And so what I'm gonna to try to do today is try to help you see how to ask some questions as you tackle and as you unpack this. And I may not even leave you today necessarily with all the answers to this, but I'm gonna hopefully give you the questions that you need to ask so that you can get out of this room and go on not a journey where you just find an answer, but you go on a journey of asking the questions. That's why I love even in the word question is the word quest. 
It is a with God journey to discover more about who he is that you could never understand. You remember this from math class, and I don't know what math is like now for kids, but I could go to the math problems that were in my book, right? And I knew that in the back of the book, what were there? The answers, at least to the odd questions. That was my, my book in high school, the odd questions. Now look, I could go and I could go to the back of the book and I could find the answers, but what did I still not know how to do? Math, that's why I went to Bible college. Uh, <laughs> like, you don't learn, you don't know who Jesus is for you, you just know the answers. So I'm not gonna tell you who to vote for. I'm not gonna tell you all the answers to life. I'm not gonna tell you how to think about X and Y. I'm not gonna necessarily give you all the right answers. And so my job is not to tell you like, here's what speaking in tongues is about. Here's what baptism of the Holy Spirit is about. Here's about spiritual gifts. Here's about, my job is not necessarily to give you all the answers. But my job is to lead a church who is on a journey to find out the truth about the man who said he is the way, is the truth, and is the life. Because if I don't, here's what will happen. You will depend on me and my teaching more than you do on God's word and Jesus. And I'll quit before I let that happen. Okay? Soapbox descended. All right? I'm gonna ask you some questions here. First of all, we gotta figure out why in the world does he start with this question of hold fast? Because you can read that and go, you better hold on to something. And if I saw a high schooler, you know, came into church and he's got a new girlfriend and I can just tell, like, he is never gonna do any better than this. And I tell him, I say, hey man, you better hold on to that one. Because you have outpunted your coverage, big fella. You are not gonna do any better than that. What that means and can imply to that teenage boy is like, I've got to do the right things or this relationship is going to mess up. So is that what he's saying here? Hold fast to your confession. Hold fast to Jesus. Like if, if I don't hold on or do the right things, then my relationship with Jesus is going to be over somehow. Is that what he's saying? Well, you got to understand what's happening that led to this pastor writing this to his church. What we've already seen and discovered, especially you can go back and look at chapter six. This is where this really blows up. What's happening in this local congregation is there are a lot of people who are showing up. They like what's going on. They feel it in the moment, but it's not going out and bearing fruit in their lives. What he knows is happening in this church is maybe even some people are raising their hand and going, I believe in that. And then when life starts to happen, when struggle comes, when tension comes, when even persecution comes, and it was already beginning to come with this church, people are now saying, even though I've confessed this, even though I've raised my hand and I believe this, what is happening is people are actually abandoning their faith. So to, to summarize and to explain to you, why is he saying, hold fast to your confession? He's not saying that because he wants people to doubt their salvation. He's saying that because he doubts if all the people actually have salvation. So he's saying, I need you to hold fast because he is gonna pick up on, and he obviously, the whole Bible wasn't written when he wrote this, but what he's picking up on is actually something that Jesus said. Jesus gave this parable of the seeds. And in that parable of the seeds, Jesus walks through different types of soil that bear fruit or different type of soil that something comes up, but it doesn't bear fruit. He says, there's this type of soil that is worthless, that is pointless. And, and again, pastors, scholars, and theologians go different ways. To me, if you're gonna ask me, 
Which of these soils is the one that is the soil that is saved? It's only the one that bears fruit. And so he talks about this soil that bears fruit, this soil that produces a harvest. And here's how he describes it. But the seed in the good soil are those, are the ones who have heard the word and in an honest and good heart, that sounds an awfully lot like Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21 through 22, pure, sprinkled clean. It's like Jesus knew what he was doing. Who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast. Exact same Greek word that's there in Hebrews, that hold it fast and it bears fruit with perseverance. It bears fruit with perseverance. So Jesus is saying, you will be able to tell who is good soil because they hold fast to the word and through perseverance, it bears fruit. It doesn't get choked out. It's not so shallow that a little crow can fall over and peck it out. Paul picks up on the same idea. Again, it's all under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of Christ. In the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, he's writing to that church and he tells them this, right at the very beginning of chapter 15, he says, now, I would remind you, brothers, and again, that's just family, I would remind you, family, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being Saved. That's that sanctification process. That's why we gotta understand what that word means. Are being saved, you just wrote, you are, the, the sanctification process is happening. Because we talked about that. You are being saved, you are saved, and you will be saved. If you, uh-oh, what? You thought I was just gonna skip over that. He said, you are being saved. And then he said, if. <gasps> Gasp. You mean there's something I have to do to be saved? Is that what it's saying? No, chill out. Don't stand, don't answer one way or the other yet. Chill, think about it. If. You hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. So what's Jesus and Paul getting at here? Because here's what the Bible makes very clear. We are saved by grace through faith alone, not of the works of man so that anybody could boast. There's nothing that I did in my faith, that I worked in my faith, to be able to make me say, there's not an action that saved me. I didn't give enough or show up at church or serve in the nursery by God. Like I didn't do that enough to like, God's like, all right, you got it. You're good. You're in. I am saved by grace through faith. I'm saved by grace through faith alone. But here's what you understand. We are saved by grace through faith alone. But that faith was never meant to stay alone. Paul, and more importantly, Jesus, make it very clear that saving faith is faith that produces and faith that perseveres. Those are the things that prove, look at me, I just went Baptist. <laughs> that is faith that actually proves that it is saving faith because it has taken this word deep into heart. It is a faith that perseveres through the hardships of life. And it is faith that produces a crop that multiplies and multiplies and blesses others. That is how we know we have this saving faith. He writes to him. He's trying to explain that to them. Now, now that we get why he's telling them to hold fast, because there are people who are letting go. There are people in his congregation, and I hate to break this to us, but there's a good chance that even in our congregation, there could be, and I pray it's not, there could be some good soil and there could be some bad soil. But the dirt is your work. The seed is his. 
He's telling them, hold fast, because he's worried that some of them have not even taken hold yet. So now we enter to the big three questions that we're gonna lean into. First one is this, what am I holding fast to? What is it that I'm actually holding fast to? The passage makes this super clear. All the answers are right there in the word. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Now, when we read that, we're like, okay, what am I holding on to? I'm holding on to the confession of my hope. Don't get this idea in your mind of going into a priest, sliding a little glass thing up and saying, you know, here's all the things I've done wrong. And him going, okay, well, here's what you need. Well, confession has happened. That is not what they would have thought of. That's not what this is talking about. The confession is basically this proclamation of who Jesus is, who we are, and how I am to be saved. It's saying, I am unrighteous. I could never get to God on my own, and I needed Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice on my behalf to put my faith in him so I could get back to God. The confession, simply put, is the gospel. It's the gospel of my hope, the confession of my hope. Now, what I love about this passage is what we know to be true as followers of Christ. Our hope is not in something. Our hope is in someone. Our hope is a who. That's why we sing this song, and I love it. You guys sing it beautifully today. Living hope, Jesus Christ, you are our living hope. We are not hoping in it raining soon, even though I wish it would. We are hoping in someone who we are confident in. We have made the confession of who they are, who we are, and what it takes for us to stay connected. And he is our living hope. Now, I gotta ask you a question. If, if we are holding fast to this confession that the gospel is the only thing that we can hope in, the truth about Jesus, all that we can hope in, then we've got to ask ourselves this question, where is our hope? Where is your hope? Right now, where is it? If you're having trouble answering that question, here's a diagnostic question to get there. What one thing in your life, if it was taken from you, would cause you to lose hope, would make you want to give up and it be over with? Is it the job? Is it the child? Is it the marriage? Is it the financial stability? What one thing in your life, if it was taken tomorrow, would make you lose hope? That's the thing that maybe you've put more hope in than Jesus Christ, our living hope. Now, when it comes to Jesus, our living hope, we have to understand that he is with us, he is for us, and when it says, hold fast to this confession of hope, that's where it connects back to this truth and the reality that hope isn't out there, hope is in here. That's why I'm not, I'm not drawing near with this confession of hope, hoping that like, I'm just gonna struggle and strive and get to Jesus. No, it's I'm, I'm knowing that deep inside of my heart, no matter what goes wrong in my finances, no matter what goes wrong in my health, no matter what goes wrong in my family, I don't have my hope out there in those things. I have my hope in here in the King of Kings. That's where my hope resides. And so I'm not reaching for hope. I'm allowing the hope that is in me to be drawn out of me as my faith, trust, and confidence in wealth, America, a politician, a party, a family, a job, anything, good thing or bad thing, any hope I would put in anything else over Christ will fail me. And so I place it all on Jesus, the one whose shoulders are big enough to hold every bit of it. 
So the next question becomes, how do we hold fast? Okay, well, we got what we're holding fast to. Well, how do I do this? How do I hold fast? He gives us the answer right there in the passage. Let us hold fast to the confession, or it's not there. Let's hold fast the confession of hope. How do we do this? Without wavering. Without wavering. I hold fast to the confession of my hope without wavering. That's how I hold it, without wavering. Now, what in the world does that mean? In order to understand what that means, you've gotta understand that this sense of wavering is not something that you will be able to see happening. It is something that happens in the spiritual warfare realm. And it happens because we fail to realize how near to Jesus we actually are. Track with me on this. When we feel like there is distance between us and God, if you, again, this is for you if you were in Christ, because if you're not in Christ, there is distance between you and God. And your faith is the only thing that will close that distance between you and God. But if you were in Christ, you put your faith and your trust in him, there is not distance between you. But what happens is we sin. We make mistakes. We miss a few Sundays in a row. We, we just mess up. And because we mess up, we feel like there's distance between us and God and we're out here on our own. And that's when our faith begins to waver. We think that there is something else I have to do to get back closer to God. I gotta fix this or I've gotta go three weeks without doing that thing and then I'll get closer to God. Now, what you need to understand about Satan is Satan understands why you do what you do. And Satan's, I believe, greatest goal is if you're in Christ, his greatest goal is to get you to miss out on how near you really are to God. His greatest goal, if you're not in Christ, is just to keep you from that nearness, to keep you from allowing Jesus to enter into your heart. That's his greatest goal if you're not in Christ. Because if that doesn't happen, you have no hope. You will be with him in hell. But if you have put your hope and your trust and your faith in Christ, then he is in you. His greatest goal is to get you to miss out on this life here of the reality of Jesus living his life and power and providence through you. So what he does is he, I don't believe Satan is able to read your thoughts. I don't believe he can just get in your head and hear what you're thinking and track with me on this. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to hear your thoughts because he sees your actions, all right? If Facebook and all the social media, they're not reading your thoughts, but doesn't it feel like they are? Do you know why they are? Because their artificial intelligence sees everything you do digitally. So they see everything they do that you do digitally and they devise, here's now how, because of all the things that we see them do digitally, here's how we can control what they think. So if Mark Zuckerberg and whatever powers are behind all of social media can sway and shift and attack your mind based off of what they see you do without ever hearing a thought, how much more, how much better do you think Satan himself is at knowing what to do to you based off of what you're doing is? Exponentially more. Now I won't say that. Yeah, I will. They get it from him. 
The reason the world is really good at that is because he helps them be really good at that. That's why you gotta be careful out there. You gotta be careful about what you're allowing to control your mind. Some of you need to take a break. So Satan, when he sees activity in your life, track with me, I'm gonna open some stuff up for you. When he sees activity in your life that is the set of things that you consistently do when you fill a gap between you and God. Every time you fill a gap between you and God, you do a certain set of things. You and your life is based off of habits. Like when there's distance between you and God, some of you, you overeat. Where's distance between you and God? Some of you, you skip church for four or five weeks in a row until it gets to a head. And you go, oh, I gotta go back. It's really bad. When there's distance between you and God, you do a certain set of things. When you feel that distance in your heart and you do those certain things, a bell rings in hell and they go, ooh, one of his kids is feeling distant from him. Let's go do everything we can to get right in between and shove as hard as we can in the other direction. Not in reality, up here. So he'll throw whatever temptation, he'll throw whatever accusation that he can our way to make us feel like there's something you have to do to get closer to God. And now, this is really cool. We were talking about all of this in our um, staff small group that we have on Tuesday mornings. And Josh Wright, our, our kids pastor, um, he's like, man, I really feel like that was his plan from the beginning. That's actually, you know, if you kind of look at it, it seems like what he was doing in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve. And check this out. I think he's right. He didn't even go to Bible college. That's so crazy. He's from South Carolina. Um, <laughs> uh, I love it. Um, check this out. But the serpent said to the woman, this is after, you know, He's saying, you should eat this. And she's like, no, we're not supposed to eat that. And he goes, ah, oh, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be closer. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. See, what he's doing there is he's saying, God is holding out on you. You wanna be closer to God? Do this thing, grab this fruit. You wanna be closer to God? You wanna experience the God stuff? That godly wisdom? Do this. Now, let's, before we get into what happened, we all know what happened, but before we get into that, were things in the garden perfect before this moment? So if things are perfect, they're exactly as close, God and his creation, as God wants them to be. They are perfectly close. They're in perfect union. God is with them. No sin has entered the story yet to break the bond between divinity and his humanity. Now, Satan comes in. They're already as close to God as they could get and goes, let's get closer. You know what you need to do to get closer? Something, grab that fruit, eat that fruit, and you'll be closer to God than you ever dare to imagine. And he's like, I don't think we're supposed to. <laughs> And the snake is like, ah, come on, God's holding out on you. You really want to experience closeness to God? Do this. And that's, and, and, and modern day, that's how cults start. You want to get closer to God? Oh, well, do, do this thing. Do this new thing. There's a really big danger going on in the church world right now. It's this propensity to go and find new revelation, new stuff. 
Listen, there's nothing new in this. And if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. It's, it's, it's here or it's not. And so stop, look, like let the gospel be the gospel. Keep going back to it week in, week out. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And so he tells them, hey, you wanna get closer to God? Do this. They do. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And so she took, she held fast. She reached out, plucked it from the tree. She had her activity. She took the fruit and she ate. And then she also gave some to her husband. Uh, she took this in and passed it around. Who is with her? And he also ate. See, we waver in our faith and we refuse to hold fast to the one who is right here, the one who is right there, near to us, ever present with us. When we think now post garden, I sinned, I messed up, there's distance between me and God, I gotta do some things to go back to it. No, that's when you're going to waver in your faith. That's when you're gonna be most susceptible to temptation. That's when Satan is going to wait till you're weak. Satan, like you ladies who just went to a women's conference, he's not sending you temptation on the car ride home for women's conference. He's not that stupid. He'll wait till that high conference high dies out a little bit and then he'll send some stuff your way. He knows what he's doing. He reads your actions, sees it all, predicts your behavior, and knows what to send your way. That's why the best thing you can do for your faith is actually step one in the let us, which is understanding how my hope is right here. Jesus is right here with me. He is God with me. Now, I know when you're going through life, it can feel like, man, there are for sure times when you are hanging by a thread, which is why I love what the apostle Paul said to the church of Corinth in his second letter to them. He said, he just got through explaining all the crazy hardships he had gone through. And he says this, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's not, he's not saying when, when life hits the fan, and, and you have a week that feels like hell on earth, just go, everything is awesome. Jesus is in here. I'm good. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm so weak right now. I don't know how I'm making it. I don't know how I'm getting up in the morning. I don't know how I'm sleeping at night. But here's what I do know. God's in there somewhere. And, and, and if this calamity, this um, insult, these hardships, this persecution, this weakness, if this is happening in my life, then I'm content knowing that this is something Jesus is doing to kill off everything that was left of me so that the only thing left in me is him, that he's the hope shining through, that that hope that's in here finds its way out through my life. So whatever hardship is coming, I'm knowing that I'm going to be weak. I'm going to admit my weakness, but I'm going to see the strength of God come out of my life because that's what holding fast without wavering does. It goes, I'm, I'm here. My anchor goes beyond the veil. It goes into the inner places. Our soul, if we are in Christ, is anchored to heaven and he is gonna winch you in inch by inch. No, you're gonna go over some speed bumps. You're gonna drag on the bottom for sure sometimes. But he's going to get you there. Last question. Why are you wavering? Or second to last question. Why are you wavering in your life? Why do you feel like there's this distance and you're like, I'm going back and forth, I'm going back and forth. 
So the, the church in Hebrews, it was, it was for sure persecution. They had their habits, they had the way things had always been for them. And, and stuff starts to hit the fan and it's easier to just jump back into religion than a relationship. Because if I just have religion, then I got a God who's on my side. I can do X, Y, Z and get a result out of God. I can get him in my pocket. I got to get God on my good side. That is maybe good Hindu religion, but that's not Christianity, folks. So you got to figure out what's causing you to waver. Is it the distractions? Is it measuring up to somebody that you've been trying to be to impress somebody you don't know? Why are you wavering? From the hope you have in Christ, why are you wavering? Again, I, I can't give you the answer to that. You know the answer to that. I'd love to help you maybe find an answer to it. But those, these are the questions I pray you like take a picture of and go home and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show you the answers to these questions. That's where this becomes not a Sunday thing. This becomes your life. This becomes our life. We do this together. We do this with each other. We do this in small groups. The last question is why do we have to hold fast? Like, what's, what, like why is that essential? Why do I have to hold fast? Again, passage shows us this truth. Why do we hold fast? He says, let us hold fast to confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because he who promised, the one who we are hoping in, he who promised that he would get us there, that he would cross the finish line, that he is in us, that is not our strength taking the step, that is not our strength getting back up until we've fallen down 15 more times, that it's not us doing that, that's him inside of us. He's the one who's promised, I will get you there. I am the one who promised I'm not concerned and this is not contingent on your grip strength to hold fast to me. I just need you to understand that I'm holding you and like a little baby in the arms of a father, Realize how close I am and wrap your arms around my neck. Close your eyes if you need to. Don't worry about who you offend on the outside. Put your head into my shoulder and trust that I am carrying you through this. I'm carrying you through this. He who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. So as we get ready to receive communion, my prayer is that you would be bold enough to say this. Now, some of you, you, you may have to say it and it doesn't feel like it today, but with all due respect, forget about your feelings for just a little bit and let faith begin to take over. And, and with words inspired and hearing even in your church family here together, whispering this beside you, say these simple words as you commune with Jesus. Jesus, you're my only you are my only hope. I have nothing. Jesus, you are my only hope. And in this moment, I will hold fast to you. I am standing on you. You are the solid rock. There's no place I'm going. I could put my hope in money. That's sinking sand. I could put my hope in a relationship. Sinking sand. I could put my hope in some sort of thing out there working out the way I want it to. All of those things are sinking sand. Jesus, I am placing my hope on you, the one who is a solid rock, the one who will sustain me through every storm that I will face in this life. Jesus, you're my only hope. You did what I never could. And that's what communion represents, a holy, perfect sacrifice for your sins. Now, if you're here today and you have not ever said, Jesus, you're my only hope, 
today, you want to be that day where you say, I'm done trusting in my own works. I'm done trusting in me trying to figure out some science stuff. I'm done and listening to what uh, that high school professor or college professor or whoever said, I- I've always known something deep in my heart that this is the truth, that this is the reality. And today you want to say, Jesus, you are my only hope. I'm banking my eternity and my right now on you. And you want to give your life to Christ today. I'll be right in the back as the song plays and as communion happens. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. And if today is the day, I'd love to baptize you into Christ. For everybody else, say it. Even if through tears, Jesus, you're my only hope. And let that truth become real to you as you see how near he is to you this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, mercy, and truth. As we commune with you now and take of this this holy communion, this broken body, this poured out blood, remind us that it is this perfect sacrifice that gives us entrance into the holy place of prayer that we are in right now. And I pray that we would confess that Jesus, you are. true for us in the individual seats that we sit in, but make this true for us as a church. That the world will be looking on and go, man, what is it? What are those people hoping in? That that we would be a people who get to answer the question of what are you hoping happens from that? Why do you make that decision? That we get to answer that question and we get to show a confused and desperate world who looks on at the love we have for each other and for you. And we get to give you all the credit because our hope is in you. A place that the world didn't give and a place that the world cannot take away. Thank you, Lord. I ask all these things in the name of Jesus.